podcast, everybody. I am Ethan, the host of the Biology Podcast, along with my good friend, Ricky, who is obviously going to be later on this track. But uh, yeah, so I am reviewing episode nine of Gleipnir today. Um, And I've got to say, I think this is my favorite episode of the show so far. Um... Obviously, there was a, there's like etchy shit in it, but you know that's literally the show, so it is what it is. But what I think they did really well on this show, other than like the absolute bomb of a you know soundtrack that was going on, um, I think anytime there was there was like action occurring, there was either like this dope dubstep beat, which was I I thought fit it perfectly because it was like a frantic moment where this this enemy group is looking over them. And they're kind of at this very moment realizing shit. We we've just been trapped, um, and I think moments like this in shows where they can match mus- music to like the overall tone of the let's say the the arc or the arc of the current episode. Um, I think that music really elevates these kinds of moments and really shows or depicts to the um, to the watcher like how serious it is in the moment or like um, for instance dubstep I think it gets you hype it pumps your blood it pumps your adrenaline and I think that like fits perfectly with what you know they're trying to portray to you um, I wonder if you take that music out does that scene feel the same I don't think so and then um, when our boy Yota finally goes off and starts kicking some ass, uh, they kind of like drop this dope kind of like hip hop beat in some regard. Um, and I think they kind of allude to the fact that he was like kicked out of school for starting a fight or getting in a fight or something like that, right? And so maybe like being able to portray more of like the delinquent um, – mind not mindset that's that's a stupid thing to say but the kind of like delinquent trope that a lot of Japanese anime do for like you know uh like the long-haired guys or the guys with crazy hair and shit like that in high school um you know in a lot of ways I think it really harkened to like Ichigo um he's not seen as like necessarily a delinquent but he does do some like delinquent shit where he just doesn't really care you know what I mean um and I think they really did a good job like pairing that music with that moment where we're kind of being revealed that this dude's an absolute thug a complete thug lord um I love that Shuichi you get to see him say you know I hadn't noticed it before because he's not very like outwardly intimidating and he's like kind of chill but this dude is an absolute beast He's a freak beast monster and um, kind of looks scared of him. And what I thought was also kind of cool was, you know, because of that, you know, realization that he's an absolute beast, um, a couple episodes ago when they say, Yota, you want to fight Shuichi or whatever you want to call their combined Shuichi lair? Um, and he was like, oh, I don't know if I'll be able to beat him. Well, he obviously could have kicked his ass. So I kind of like that he's a little humble boy in some regard, in some uh, regards as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, this episode, I think, did a, gr- a lot for pacing. 
Um, it felt like it, it. I have been saying this. It seems like it's been really slow so far to get moving, and you know I think this is like one of the first major conflicts we're getting to as a story. Obviously, I'd say the first one was meeting Elena and figuring out kind of what the deal is with her, and then like this is the main one because now they're in their like legit squad. <laughs> Obviously, I want to know what the fuck's going on with San- Sanbei, whatever his name is. But this seems like this is going to be their squad. They're going to try to ride it out with. And, you know, they're finally making some moves toward um, to to the goal, right? And I think it's interesting. They, they keep showing. Um, I got to learn this girl's name at some point. But Kat, your girl, who Elena basically told her that somebody already has 100 coins, right? And she was, while they were taking a break during their journey, deciding whether she should tell them. And she's about to. And then, of course, the enemy group shows up that, um, you know, I referenced Yota fighting. Um, and and I think I kind of mentioned it in my, my walkthrough of the episode or, you know, reaction in the episode a little bit. Um, I'm, I'm not currently sure, but I'm thinking there might be a little bit of laziness or... Um, what what's the word like just ease of art ease of animation by making half of this group just completely um featureless blobs other than you know glowing eyes or glowing teeth or something like that um i'm not sure if it's like a sense of foreboding foreshadowing saying like all these guys are really strong but you only see these three or four or if it's just like a, a laziness or a um, efficiency kind of thing with with animating and, and animation in general um, but obviously I'd like all of them to be named and like cool because the guys that we do get to see like one's like the snapping turtle looking motherfucker there's um, blind swordsman which is always going to be dope um, sort of looks like one of those guys from samurai shampoo actually but he's got like a blindfold over his eyes so um, you know always dope um, and then the, the head guy seems to be, I don't really know like what his deal is from like a creature standpoint, but he looks like kind of like a frog mixed with a human mixed with like this lizard guy with like sharp ass effing teeth. And, um, he seems to be like a leader that is like really down for his crew though. Um, seems to be like he, he thinks of all these guys as, as his like, sons <laughs> i mean he references the big centipede guy is little marita so or my little marita i think he calls him so you know pretty interesting for you know to see a enemy group think of each other as like you know his ch- his children or whatever um especially because he does say they're all scum so i think that's just kind of like an interesting thing that honestly sort of endears <laughs> this enemy group to me even though you know obviously you're supposed to not like them so um pretty interesting from that regard but yeah by far my favorite episode so far of Gleipnir I think this was easily like a, a 9.3 out of 10 93 out of 100 um Yota's kicking ass that's what it's gonna be uh yeah so just had a blast doing this episode um hopefully ricky will be able to get some crazy shit going on in the video for this where you get to see me actually react to some of the you know scenes um i'm kind of a chill dude but i kind of gave you some running commentary after i watched a couple scenes so 
hopefully that'll uh, interest you in some way. But yeah, I just wanted to say a couple things really fast. Um, today is June 3rd, um, which happens to be our year anniversary on Webology Podcast. I just wanted to thank everyone out there for listening, um, commenting on our YouTube videos, uh, subscribing, obviously, leaving reviews, all that stuff that you guys done. Um, we had a really solid first year considering we started from absolutely nothing in terms of social media presence. Um, you know, numbers weren't like astronomical, like we weren't like a viral success, but we absolutely had a blast and we loved, uh, being able to connect with a lot of you, um, personally through DMS or through discord or anything like that. So I just wanted to say, you know, from the bottom of our hearts, you know, thank you very much for listening and, uh, you know, we hope you're enjoying it because we don't really plan on stopping anytime soon. So uh, buckle up, Mother Dunkers. Um, and then one last thing, we are participating in the AnyTubeCon 2020 this weekend. Um, Webology Podcast will be on there with, you know, some of the favorites that you guys, you know, guests that we've had, which would be Anime Lately as well as um, Anime Summit. And basically, it is a online convention for COVID-19 relief uh, donations is kind of like the main idea. And um, our first panel, I believe, is 12 p.m. on Friday. It will be myself and Ricky, obviously, going on with um, Anime Summit to do... Um, what to watch in 2020 anime so obviously the beginning of the year and then what's going on the rest of the year you know what's delayed stuff like that Uh, it's been a solid year so far even with all this shit going on so um, I'm really hype about that and then we're also going to be on an isekai isekai panel wow I can't believe I just jacked up the word as I'm saying we're about to be on a panel about it (laughs) oops and then we are also on a basically a shit post <laughs> panel where we're gonna like it's called gloves off and we're just gonna talk shit about shows we um maybe like our hot takes uh bad takes maybe you'll say but yeah that's kind of the deal so yeah i just wanted to let you guys know that so this weekend which will be june 5th 6th and 7th i believe um yeah <laughs> that's right so uh, make sure you look out for that on YouTube and Twitch as well. It's going to be streamed and then obviously on YouTube as well. And that's AnyTubeCon uh, 2020. So uh, we'll post links to that on Twitter and stuff like that as well just so, so you guys can you know watch that if, if, if you plan to. But yeah, wow. That was a really solid episode. Um, episode 9 of tower of god was super lit too i'm gonna throw this on over to ricky i will i promise i will relinquish the mic (laughs) all right folks thank you so much for sticking with us this first year love ya stay safe um wash your hands and i will catch you on the next one uh pieces welcome back my beautiful beautiful students to this week's extra credit i am your hatted professor ricky this hair has become actually insane, so I'm getting into hats now recently, Um, but today we're going to be talking about arguably my favorite episode of Tower of God 
to date, episode nine. Where we are when we start is already tense. And it's tense for a very particular reason. Because in the last episode, if you remember my analysis was, there was already the airs of betrayal occurring. You know, the characters already seemed as if they were prepared to do anything to get what they want at the top of the tower, and it already was kind of alluded to, to betrayal. And this episode's central theme is betrayal and personal philosophy. And it's done so well. So we start with Endorsey basically attacking her own teammate's fishermen. Can I really blame her, though? Can any of us really? After Kuhn... Went nuclear on his whole team last time just to give Bomb the edge in passing because he wants to go to the tower with Bomb the same way Endorsey later says she wants to go to the tower with somebody now. She wants to climb with somebody. Um, and it's fantastic the way that they already kick off this episode because her betrayal seems very cut and dry, right? She is just attacking her own teammates. It's very pointed. It's very specific. There's no big brain about it. It's just she made sure that all the fishermen in her plan are at the bottom of this playing field so she would have access to kick their ass. So kick their ass, she totally does. Turns out, actually, one of them down there had an ignition weapon. If you remember, like, the Green April and I guess technically the Black March, this one didn't seem to be part of the 13-month set, which makes me think, obviously, there are more ignition weapons out there that are made by other people besides that special blacksmith that made that series of weapons, I guess, considered stronger than the others. So, despite one of these guys having a very strong weapon and shoots a green-looking Shinzu-ish blast at Bomb and Endorsey, basically, she, she tanks it and... I thought Bomb did too. Dead wrong. Turns out he hits the deck. And then we get a nice little flash over to Hots and a couple spear bears on the stairs. And Hots says to these guys, look, here's the plan. I'll go along with y'all. I will be the one to toy with the ranker. And you guys hide in the shadows and finish him off with a spear bearer attack. Just you guys double team him. We get a good, awesome battle between Quant and Hots. And Hots is clearly being overpowered, but he's also demonstrating some serious skill. He then, ah, uh, yeah, gets his ass kicked. Let's, let's not beat around the bush. He gets his ass kicked. But then the reveal happens. He basically has his head in Quant's hands, pinned against the wall, and he takes his own hands and then clamps over the arm of Quant, saying, I've trained my whole life with the sword with these hands. Once they grab something, it's not letting go. And then the moment the Spear Bears can come in and double-team him, they run. They betrayed Hots. But this one is just petty. There's no, it, there is no higher level. It's purely for the perceive, per, uh, perception of survival. So they run. They're like, dude, that was a sick-ass plan. And then Quant immediately catches up to him and kicks their ass. And he's pissed off about that. And 
we're just seeing betrayal left and right at varying degrees. We cut back to Bomb, and we do in fact see his reaction to the betrayals. He's saying, I will not do this. I will not play this way. My philosophy states that I don't want to hurt my team to climb this tower, and I don't intend to do it to Rachel either. Basically, the way a lot of these characters, Ho and Dorsey, and even some of the spear bearers we just saw, they all have their own physical philosophies played out on screen. Hots is a guy to, who would make the sacrifice play. These spear bearers are just pettily running away and betraying just totally out of preservation of self. And Dorsey, we got a little snapshot of her history about how she was uh, taken in by fallen noble family. One of the ten families, by the way. She drops that name and that should not go unnoticed because that is important for the life outside of the tower. There are families, they are nobles, and what this particular family did, as she explained, they will take in orphans to battle and compete against each other so they can eat better. Higher Marks gets a lavish full-course meal, and really low Marks gets stale bread. And it's clear she was talking about there once was a little girl, blah, blah, blah. No, it was clearly her. And then you get a scene that is a little pretty grotesque. She says, I never had to eat stale bread again. In fact, I got to eat all the food myself. And you see a litany of dead bodies everywhere. She has been cool with betrayal since day one. And that in her brain as a character is strength, willing to stab anyone in the back to get ahead because she never wants to go back to live in that stale bread life. And in the face of that, that's when Bomb's saying, no, I will not. I cannot. This is not who I am. So, we then cut to Ho, who makes his way to Rachel and says, I want to just talk to you about you and Bomb. After a small exchange, he does something that at this point in the episode shouldn't be too surprising. He's got a knife to Rachel's neck, and he reveals a very interesting piece of uh, data, if you will, that I have been looking forward to understanding since we heard it. What we hear is the inside of the letter that Ho received a couple episodes earlier. And the contents read, if Rachel dies, Bomb dies. If Rachel is taken out of the picture, Bomb can't climb the tower. Really interesting stuff. Because at this point in the episode, I don't know if there is some kind of metaphysical linking or there's more of a emotional one that has been revealed to another character to try to leverage that into getting ahead. But Hose. Betrayal was the only one that I could see happening. I just never expected it to happen so quick, and to Rachel no less. So, we get this very tense showdown when Quant comes in, seeing Ho knife to Rachel's neck, and then Bomb staring down this entire scene. He then says, 
what are you doing? What is going on? And Ho starts asking the same thing. What is going on? I didn't expect you all to be here. And it hits him all at once. That the letter was meant to set him up. It was meant to betray him. This whole episode is totally like along the lines of my analysis for the future. Again, I watched these episodes fresh. I didn't see episode nine before I recorded immediately. And I, I'm shocked at how well this show basically leads the audiences to have a small inkling of a possibility of what the future holds for the show and then immediately give it to you in such a satisfying way. So we have this weird confrontation, Quant on one side, Bomb on the other, and then Rachel and Ho in the middle. Bomb is preparing a Shinzu Blast as a wave controller to try to take out Quant, or basically he's getting ready to fight and try to protect Rachel. In that preparation, he is rushed by Quant, and we get to see a new super cool use of Shinzu. Labeled as a ranker power, he uses Shinzu and floods the body of a victim, and that victim is paralyzed to a huge degree, not completely paralyzed, but enough to almost completely incapacitate them. And Quant says something to him very curious. He says, I have to go after the it. But if you want to do something about it, I just showed you how. Do something about it. And then immediately, he's ready to kind of face Ho after Quant is now going after the Yit. Ho and Rachel have a struggle. Rachel kick, like pushes him off, and you know they're tussling. He still has the knife. And before Bomb could get to him, there is an accidental, from what it looked like, stabbing in the back of Rachel. Just after this incident, Bomb uses a, the ranker technique immediately after being exposed to it. And I mean immediately. Touches him, boom, paralyzed, Ho falls. Rachel is bleeding out. Ho expresses a lot of anguish and uh, what I find is a very beautiful kind of sad almost uh, admission of uh, emotion from the character. And what we see is Ho giving up. He betrays his own ambition by stabbing himself right in the heart, claiming he hated Bomb because he showed his power. And he couldn't stop showing off his power. Because remember, we have Endorsey ready to take out the fishermen to get ahead. We have Kuhn ready to take out entire teams just so Bomb gets ahead. And we have Ho willing to take out what he thought was the way to get Bomb gone. Because it's clear that he's not strong as Bomb. So next best thing, go for the light bear. Go for Rachel under the information that he was given, thinking it was a hot tip, but actually it was a hot setup. This episode is just so mind-blowing. 
how beautiful a setup, you know, Ho is getting really kind of cold and lifeless in the way he was ready to pursue his revenge. And then someone set him up to ensure that this happened. We do end the episode with a really, really good Sakuga-filled fight between Endorsey with the ignition weapon that he took. She took, excuse me. Um, she took that from the other fisherman and fought Quant with it, putting up a pretty decent fight, but in the end, wasn't really enough to overpower him. In this fight as well, Bomb shoots that same paralyzation technique at Quant. He manages to actually fire it instead of just touching. And to the point where Quant was like, he already mastered a ranker technique. This has been like two minutes. He went from exposure to mastery in two minutes. What is, Bomb is of actual, to put it in the words of Ethan, he's a freaking thug lord. Like, he's clearly insanely adept at using Shinzu, and he's not afraid to use it anymore. So, a couple interesting details that I saw in this episode, um, outside of just the themes woven beautifully, there's at least four different instances of betrayal, and they could not be more different from the pettiness of the Spear Bears to the anguishing ambition of Ho and everything in between. And then in all of that, Bomb stood his ground. I am not changing. I'm not doing this kill-all-to-get-ahead philosophy. I'm going to do things my way. And that makes for a great shonen protagonist unwavering in the face of the world around you. You think, like, Gon, who basically the only time he ever snapped is when he snapped so hard that he snapped P2 in half. You know, you have other unchanging Naruto is the one who never gives up. Believe it. <laughs> but you, you have this bomb character who is willing to be the opposition of the way the world flows. And it's clear all these characters are very well-adjusted to uh, betrayal and revenge and, you know, all of these different kind of negative but powerful emotions, they've all assumed that this is how it has to happen. They have all said at some point over the last couple episodes, this is how you climb the tower. And in the face of that, Bomb said, no, I'm going to do it my way. Loved that strength in him. That's so cool. So we do see... We have Ho and we have Rachel going into what looks like some kind of medical care. So it does seem possible that they could recover. Ho probably less so. He got stabbed legit in the heart. Rachel got stabbed literally and figuratively in the back. So it's more possible that Rachel might survive this. And I think she should. However, we got a little interesting thing with our boy Rack. It's Rack time, baby. So he's out waiting and while all this goes on the second that Rachel gets stabbed that other dude he was having an eating contest with gone disappears literally evaporates into thin air and the rest of the episode you get little scenes of Rack being like what where the hell did you go where did he go does nobody did nobody see that and no one seemed to know so I wonder what those two have in 
linking they make they have the physical link that I think Ho was expecting to have with Bomb and Rachel. You know, if you kill one, you kill the other. So I'm curious to see what happens next. This one, I I gotta say, this is probably a straight ninety, like without a doubt, a straight ninety. This the theme was betrayal, and it explored it in a different light throughout just 23 minutes and I I could not be more excited about where this is going now because if this is the level of storytelling that they're now putting down in the kind of the end game I don't know if this is going to go 12 or 24 episodes but I like this idea that I proposed last time of does betrayal and revenge really indicate the ability to climb the tower and not harm it because these kinds of things would not really speak to the benevolence of someone climbing the tower right if they're willing to sacrifice their own teammates would this not indicate harm do these things which one of these betrayals don't actually indicate harm i mean ho even said to bomb the unwavering protagonist that I hated you, I wanted to beat you, but it was clear the tower has chosen you. Again, I think that might speak to the future of the selection process because it's the people that seem to be defying the way everyone else assumes the tower and the world works are the ones that are going to make it. So I'm excited to see it. Straight 90. This was an absolute banger. I was hooked from second one to 23 and a half minutes. And uh, everything in between was absolutely stout. So uh, thank you so much for listening. I know this one might be a little short, but, um, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I just kind of talk fast and it really excited me. This particular episode, oh, man, this show, this show is on its way to being a real classic. But thank you for listening. If you like the uh, whole audio-visual combo, hey, YouTube gang, I'm not looking um, a little too put together today, but I have a lot of work to do and hats are now my best friend. So if you want to listen with your ears and not your eyes, go check us out on Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, CastBox, or anywhere else you get your podcast fix. I will also have a PSA, me, Ethan, and a bunch of other YouTube and podcasters in the anime space. This weekend, June 5th through June 7th, we are doing AnitubeCon 2020. You know, social distancing is ravaging the world, but we still wanted to come together and talk anime with all the creators that we have been working with interchangeably. We're going to have a bunch of panels. I've just been pumping out thumbnails all day. Um, some of the panels are going to be great. We have talking about, um, you know, where is My Hero Academia going? What's up with Isekais as a whole? The good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, we have one called Gloves Off, which is basically just entire unpopular opinions we're getting after it and me and ethan are on that panel so it's gonna be a blood fest but it's gonna be a really good time so come on by uh i'm gonna leave the links to twitch and youtube so you can watch any of the streams uh in the description of both the audio and in the video uh of this particular episode uh so what else do we got to plug um instagram at webology.podcast we got memes on memes on news whenever we can get those out in this isolation situation uh, drop us a line on our email, webologypodcast at gmail.com. Our list is ever growing to the point where me and Ethan had to keep a Google Doc. Or we're going to lose some of them, um, but we are getting through those. And um, 
also, lastly, today marks me and Ethan's one-year anniversary, and we're going to have an episode about it, I think, in the coming days. So thank you sincerely from the bottom of my and Ethan's heart, everyone who has jumped on the Weebology bandwagon, come to class over this last year, and here's to many more years of educating y'all students. So I think that's really it. I'm Ricky, that was Ethan, and this has been Weebology. Deuces! Woo! Thank you.